And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course, and it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. We continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope, and we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET10. And thank you for listening. Hey, Chris. Hello. How's it going? I'm fairly well. Where are you? I am in the basement of my house in a room where I keep my weird collections. And uh, it's probably one of the few places that doesn't have a hardwood floor, so no echoes. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I do see some things behind you. Oh, what, yeah. What are, the, what are those things? They're are they sword, swords? Swords and bayonets and stuff. I've, I've been collecting it since I was... 13 when my dad bought me a civil war sword so yeah it's 42 years now <laughs> whoa yep where are what state are you in i am i'm in olympia washington oh okay yeah we're close i'm in yeah Seattle. we are indeed we've been here since 2003 oh how has olympia treated you in the last 
two years specifically. Last two years hasn't been bad. I mean, as far as as far as a community um, to live in during this this episode, it's been um, pretty cool having. Excuse me, I'm paying attention to my cat. Um, That's okay. You uh, it's been pretty cool living in a community with a lot of like minded people. Um, mm-hmm. It's small enough that um, you know you don't feel like you're in. Although to be fair, actually because. No, we're in a bubble within a bubble. So Olympia is pretty far left, liberal, whatever. But then everything in Thurston County isn't necessarily like that. Um, mm-hmm. And because we're the capital, all the whack jobs with the guns who were protesting all last year were downtown, some of whom were, were gunning for the Black Lives Matter people. So that was lots of fun. Boy. Yeah. But aside from those guys, all the rest yeah. of us are okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm hoping to come down there and uh, sometime soon and visit my old friend Pete Kramiak. I don't know ah, if you yes. know him. I know Pete well. So what brought you up to the, the Northwest? Um, well, we uh, we lived in what? My wife and I left San Francisco in 98 to go to grad school in the Midwest. And after about a year or two in the Midwest, realized we did not want to stay in the Midwest. So when we finished our coursework in 2002... I spent nine months living in Germany doing research for a dissertation I never finished. But uh, we moved from Chicago, dumped all our stuff in a storage space here, and then came back here. When we got married in 2001, we basically did a trip up the 101 to decide where we wanted to live to move back to the West Coast. Um, and yeah. Olympia, Olympia made sense because we knew a bunch of people here from the touring days and stuff. And um, because it... It it had terrain. It was wonderful in comparison to the flatness that was the Midwest. Right. It sounds like you went an academic route for a little I bit. Did, or still yeah. are. I don't know. No, no. I abandoned that, you know, um, realized the academic job market is actually probably one of the hardest ones to enter, which was the biggest issue. Um, you know, essentially, I think it's of the people, and we were in the humanities. I did history. She did uh, English. And... Um, of the people who get a PhD each year, only about 30% of those will find, uh, 25 to 30% of those will find employment within academia. And you compile that on year on year on year. Um, and it meant that if we wanted to stay as academics, we would have to move wherever the hell they told us to move, wherever we could find a job. Right. Um, yeah, we did not want to live wherever. We didn't want to, I mean, we decided sure. that quality of life was more important than academic work. Well, we, we pretended we were doing our dissertations for, I think, two years. And then after that, started doing work in local nonprofit stuff, a couple of organizations, because I learned uh, bookkeeping. That's what I did with Jawbreaker. I basically ran, uh, interfaced with our uh, accountant and stuff. So I lot, knew a lot of that. So I did that for a couple of homeless outreach programs here, and then... I eventually found my way to food bank where I had was actually employed for six years before Jawbreaker reunited. Oh, okay. What were you focusing on historically? That sounds so funny. Historically, yeah. It's again something a thrilling that that will engage it. A lot of your listeners, it was the influence of the Enlightenment on administrative practice in late eighteenth century Germany. Wow. That's oh, what, yeah. that hence the the living in Germany. Yeah, hence the living in Germany, yeah. yeah. But, you know, one of those things where I realized that the number of people who would actually, number of people who would re- read this and then uh, be interested in this would probably fit in one room. 
So, uh, you know, do I want to dedicate the rest of my life to this? It was interesting. Right. You know, it was nice. We both got funding and uh, served as an, and acted as um, uh, teaching assistant. So we got four years of graduate school for free. Um, wow. nice. which meant we were able to just study what we wanted to study. Um, so we learned a bunch of research skills that I still use to study yeah. whatever the hell I want. But yeah, it was cool. It was Great. it was high tension. Uh, just decided not to not to go with that one. Is Publish or Parish still a, a yeah. real thing? Yeah, when you very get there? much. Yeah. Very much. And even then, even if you publish, you, it's it's really hard to get. Um, at this point, tenure is almost non-existent. Um, yeah. But I did get an article published. So yeah, I'm I'm I have an article published. So all the, right. The, the, I think and I think actually I I reached the the point where someone referred to my article in their own dissertation or work. So yeah, there I am. I'm a awesome. quoted, quoted published historian. So there did what I awesome. did. Awesome. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I want to know what you were doing musically. Jawbreaker broke up in 96, mm -hmm. uh, spent two years um, uh, going back to school in San Francisco in order to get the you know stuff under my belt to be able to apply to grad schools spent from 98 to 2002 in grad school moved to olympia in 2003 um okay. then i started getting actually interestingly enough i met a group of younger people from evergreen college uh through the homeless uh outreach program that still exists here it's called eggy hop emma goldman youth and homeless outreach program um, they basically go out on bikes at night and hand out clothes and coffee and uh, do needle exchange. And so I met a bunch of younger people there through whom I eventually met a gentleman named Keith Henderson and a person that um, your listeners may or may not know named Matt Canino, who was originally in a band called Ladderman. So through that, I started playing me and a friend of mine uh, Hayes Waring, who is now my bass tech, and Hen Keith Henderson, who's a drummer, um, did a, you know, greatest hits punk rock band. Um, and then there was another band that Henderson and Matt Canino had called Shorebirds, and they had another person mm -hmm. as a bass player. But that bass player had broken their arm, so they asked me to play with them. Um, so I joined Shorebirds, and it was great, because actually I had been, I had sort of lost... I don't know if it was interest or involvement in um, live music. I'd been burned by some stuff I did in Chicago. So I found that was one of the first bands it clicked with as far as writing went. as Because um, uh -huh. uh, as a bass player, I write some stuff. I read a lot of stuff, actually. But it's hard to write the entirety of a song because you're just playing bass lines. So um, it, it's important to find a guitarist or other songwriter that you uh, work with easily and makes sense with. Um, and that happened with uh, Matty Joe. So that was that was great. We recorded a seven inch that I released. And then there is a full LP called It's Gonna Get Ugly. That band broke up and Matty Joe and I started another one called Mutoid Men, which is a bit more, I don't know, experimental. I had this old Moog I'd had since I was 16. And so we used that and we released an album. Um, I think it's just called Mutoid Men. It's, it's a, a 12 inch 45. I think it has like eight, 10 songs and I forget. Um, 
But yeah, that was, I mean, that was one of the reasons I moved to Olympia in the first place was because I knew there were a lot of people my age, which at that point was in my, I was in my thirties. But like I said, it was interesting because the people I got involved with were actually younger. None of the older I played, I played with some people here that I knew from before, but the bands I actually played, um, recorded and did stuff with were those two people in their twenties. Um, I found that as I've gotten older, music has been less a part of my life. I mean, when you're 16, you have nothing but music uh, as your own thing. You know, you're living in your parents' house, you're going to school, everything else is run by someone else. And so music is sort of the thing you cling to as an identity and um, it makes up a lot of the way you think of yourself. And in part, as I grew older, in part, because I kind of, you know, after the, after Jawbreaker broke up, I stopped listening to music for two years. Um, you did. Yeah, I got sort of, I got felt kind of burned by it. It was a little, a little PTSD, you know. Um, when you say you got burned by it, you mentioned that earlier when you were in yeah. Chicago. What do you mean by that? Oh, there's a band I played with that was pretty awful. I think it was a rebound band, as like in a rebound relationship. If, in, yeah. in, in hindsight, I pr probably wouldn't have played with them if I was thinking carefully about it. Um, but I went, you know, I went to a show, I went and saw Jet to Brazil. I think the first mm -hmm. Jets of Brazil, they came through. And then I was like, I'm not doing any music that sucks. Um, and <laughs> so I happened to be, actually, I think it was the, the members of the band in Chicago uh, were there that night. And I, I happened to be drinking at a bar with them. And they asked me to play in their band. And I said, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, it took me a lot, long time to get back to start listening to rock and roll again. And even then, at this point, I don't, you know, I don't listen to music as background stuff at all. When I do listen to music, it's very specifically to listen to music. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of reasons I can analyze it. I mean, there is the fact that when you're touring, you end up in a van with uh, music playing all the time. And it's not always the music you choose to listen to. It's whoever's the driver. Sure. So, um touring, is just, it's this constant din of music. And so, since then, I've come to value uh silence to a certain degree <laughs> right but yeah so so yeah but sort of the energy of the younger people and the the degree to which they were so much more involved in music i think is what rubbed off on me and made me made me interested again uh in these olympia bands and so that was that was really refreshing then again i was also the the bad side of that is that i started partying again and developed a problem with uh alcohol and marijuana which sent me to a actually made me have a manic break oh gosh um, and eventually i was diagnosed as bipolar which isn't surprising because my mom was bipolar and she, my mom was a bipolar alcoholic fancy that i became a bipolar <laughs> alcoholic hmm funny that um since then it's you know i uh, i swear by a modern um psychiatric medication it has helped me keep my brain inside my head uh -huh. um, been sober for 12 years now. Yeah, 12 years. All right. Congratulations. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, took a while for me to put my uh, personality back together. Um, and then a while past that to get interested in music again. But uh, yeah. And then this opportunity came along in 2017 to play with Jawbreaker again. And I, I've been doing that. And I was still working at the food bank. So I spent a year flying back and forth from San Francisco, doing practices every month, um, running up to the Riot Fest show we did in 2017 while still doing my nine to five job here at the food bank. Sure. Um, and then it just got too much. I mean, I didn't have enough time to dedicate to my food bank job. And so amicably left it in 2000. 
18. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I've been doing Jawbreaker since then, except for the last two years where I've been doing right. not a lot. Right. Well, it looks like all, if not 95% of your shows coming up here are sold out. That's yes. incredible. And multiple nights and multiple. Yeah. it's And this is the longest tour we will have gone on since uh, 1990 when I was what, 23 years younger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it, I, I think when we were, before COVID happened, we were kind of ramping up to this, um, yeah. going out for longer and being, and I think we were, I was kind of ready mentally, but after, after being at home with my wife and cats for two years, pretty much, I find the prospect of uh, venturing out for this long stretch of time and huge crowds of people to be a, a little disconcerting, particularly given the the way in which the uh, the abandonment of COVID protocols is, is seems to be uh, uh, going. Yeah, it sounds like you have some valid apprehension, which I did too. I did a little touring in August and September. Yeah. it went fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've been planning to do this tour. We were this was supposed to happen in 2020. Um, yeah. And so up until we announced in, in January, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, originally, we were supposed to make the decision in December, and December was so messy. We were like, let's just wait until we're supposed to announce it and see if we're actually going to go through with this. So even before that, while things were changing here on the ground, you know, just in my personal life, trying to figure out, trying to negotiate what felt, how much of what I was doing was an overreaction I mean, after two years, I'm sort of habituated to like avoiding any sort of potentially dangerous situation. Although the question is, how mm-hmm. dangerous is it really, and how much of that is built up in my own mind? So already, we're trying to figure out how do I get about go about you know trying to trying to have a more normal life because um, I don't know if I can spend another year just hanging around inside my house. Although to be fair. I have, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I grew up in rural Connecticut. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, as a, as a youth, I learned how to entertain myself for long periods of time with, at home alone. So sometimes that's, that, that comes naturally to me. So unfortunately I think the two years of justified isolation has fed into sort of my own sort of a combination of not serious agoraphobia, but probably more of a tendency to be a homebody. And so try to negotiate how much of what I'm trying to move out of is just sort of habitual, what feels easy to me, and how much of it is actual uh, appropriate precaution given the situation. Right, yeah. Um, so it's really hard to measure, you know? It's like, yeah. is this safe? Is this not safe? Am I reacting to this badly because, you know, it's actually dangerous or because I just haven't done this forever? Do you remember what you liked best about touring before Jawbreaker stopped touring? And are you looking forward to that? Are, are you yeah, cons- I mean, thinking about that? I mean, the the way we were doing it before was kind of strange. We'd fly in for like four days or something. Sure. Um, so I was always like flying back and forth. And the flight flying wasn't great. You know, after a while, you get it gets kind of tedious. What about the early days? Oh, in the early days, in the early days, one of the things I liked was was uh, eating different cuisines. At that mm-hmm. point, you know, I like to try to try to find the the local whatever they had. And so, you know, the United States was sort of a, a giant menu for me, you know, get, sure. you know, see if I can get some crawfish in Louisiana, see if I can get a hot dog in Chicago, mm. um, giant deli sandwiches in New York, bagels, which here on the West Coast are just round bread. 
Um, That's true. Yeah. My rule of thumb, my rule of thumb is never get bagels west of the Appalachians or sourdough east of the Rockies. Oh, that's great. Um, and eventually, I'm trying to remember, because at the very end, it wasn't fun. You know, at the very end, I mean, sure. the, the band broke up for various reasons, and one of them was just, I got tired of touring. Um, yeah. Mostly because I also missed my, my now wife of 28 years. And just, it's it's, at that point, I was a little tired of just talking about what kind of strings I used. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I use this kind of strings. This is my amplifier. <laughs> that same discussion you have over, how'd you get that sound, man? It's like, well, I use this kind of string and this kind of amplifier <laughs> using my speakers, uh, which is why I went back to academia. Um, but uh, um, a little deeper conversation. Yeah, a little deeper. <laughs> uh, um yeah, I mean, I still like that. I still like going out um, uh, to to eat uh, good food, um, but um, uh, especially when Lucy's with me, we like to go to museums and see art exhibits. I like bookstores. Usually, book yeah. used bookstores um, are great. Although it's harder, it's going to be really harder because we're there's. I think we're on. I mean, we're on a bus, one yeah. bus for this. I think we're out for fifty three days, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like I can accumulate a whole in the past. I've sometimes had to buy a second suitcase to ship the books I've bought back. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's, there's no space. So sort of negotiating what, what, how do I trying to figure out what platform I use to use electronic books. But for me, it just sort of, it sort of defeats the purpose. I have to have paper, um, mm-hmm. especially when I'm trying to read to go to sleep. There's got to be some space in that bay. There's got to be some, you know, I'll figure it out, you know. But, Have but Adam got... take, le- if Adam takes one less hat. That's right. Have, you know, that's right. No, I mean, books. at this point, I've got, I'm taking up a ridiculous amount of space. I've switched to all, here I am <laughs> talking about amplifiers and strings. Um, I've switched to all uh, Mesa Boogie stuff. So I've got these old 90s uh, t- twin 15 cabs, which are huge and a big box rack mount thing for my tube heads. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I'm taking up plenty of room with that. I'm a little hesitant oh, right. about adding to that. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, and also friends, you know, at this point I've got friends who live all over the country because a lot of the people I knew, you know, back in the 90s in San Francisco have moved out of San Francisco or I, mean, I grew up in Connecticut. So I have a lot of friends back on the East Coast in New York. So um, just seeing people who I, I don't get a chance to see is always is always one of the nice things. Although the whole question is, you know, this with this whole covid protocol you know how how much of a chance will i get to see them um last week we had this long discussion about really strict covid protocol and what we need can and can't do and Mm -hmm. then it's a moving target like at this point you know what coachella is no masks no vax mandates no anything yeah um and so you know being in a room with a couple thousand people with no masks isn't going to be is actually probably going to be more dangerous than going to see my friends, which I originally couldn't sure. didn't think I could do. So, you know, so maybe I will actually get to see some friends. Yeah. Um, no, so that'll be nice. Um, I would say um, bring one of those tent things that you can yeah. just pop up really quick and get a barbecue and ask your bus driver to make try to give you a little zone and then after the show you can stand around with your friends yeah honestly that was my idea you know it's right really now, fun yeah exactly because we're i mean that's that's how i see my friends now um yeah and um you know i think we're trying to get our tour manager um 
uh, was talking. He's like, so I've started calling people and, you know, he's saying like, we need a place outside for Blake to smoke. And, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think uh, our manager, Rich Egan was talking about like, yeah, we, if, if they can't make it happen, we can make it happen. So we'll see. That was sort of, sort of my solution to the, how to hang out with other bands. Um, yeah, well, I think that's going to be, you know, without uh, giving your tour manager more work, our tour manager does exactly that. And great. Uh, the weather will be, you know, it's spring, so it won't be too bad. It could be Yeah, in Denver. Cold, but we'll see. I mean, the beginning is going to be a little see. chilly, but, you know, just bring a winter coat. I mean, that's what that's I wear right. now. Yeah. Um, that seemed to be the solution for us. Um, and so you, you are playing Dear You in entirety on this tour yep, coming beginning up. Beginning to end. And then I'm assuming some more. Yeah, more tunes. I think, yeah, exactly. It depends on the set length um, mm -hmm. that night. Otherwise, yeah, you know, a selection of the hits. Right. Um, well, um, in celebration of that, I'd like to play I Love You So Much, It's Killing Us Both. I'm assuming you're not skipping that song on this tour. No, not at all. And actually, all it right. has a very interesting bass line. You know, there's I, I, in the, the documentary, I, I accused Blake of writing the bass lines, but in point of fact, I realized that because um, I didn't actually write the melody, I, I had a lot more freedom on this album. Was like, yeah. I actually wrote some of the more complex bass lines I've ever written um, on this album, and actually the chorus of I Love You is, is one of them. All right. Well, let's hear it. Here it goes.
Actually, in point of fact, I realize I'm talking about the wrong song. The verse of I love you is the good part. It's a, sim a simple trick, even though it's the same both times played in a di different octave. That makes it sound different. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that in regards to the bass. And I like to ask bass players this because I still don't know the answer. I don't know if you're a Cure fan or not, but it seems to me, and it seems like I read that Robert Smith wrote or maybe still writes a lot of songs on bass. Do you know anything about that? Well, I could see that. I mean, the the bass half the time is doing, well, it's supposed to be doing the simpler thing, holding down like the main notes and stuff and allowing the rest of the band. But it's a give and take. I find that, that the songs that I've written, I play more straightforward. But the songs that have the guitar carrying the main melody line, there's more freedom to do fills or, or stuff or to play off the main riff and come up with something more interesting. But yeah, it would make sense, you know, because if you're, if you're writing just a simple chord progression or you're writing to, to sing on top of, then uh, the bass is, I mean, I guess you could do it as well on the guitar. I don't know. Yeah. Well, how, how is uh, rehearsal going? You're, you're playing all of Dear You and some other tunes. Yep. Do you like rehearsal? I, I, I personally kind of like rehearsal. I like rehearsal mostly because it, it helps my uh, sense memory so that it's not something I have to think about a lot. It, it just happens. Um, mm -hmm. Took me a while to realize what was going on. I find I sort of get locked inside my own head when I play. And half the time... I'm, I mean, I enjoy myself, but half the time I'm also saying, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't yeah. fuck up. And so having practiced over and over and knowing, okay, if for some reason I've lost uh, track of where I am, I, I kind of know if I just sort of go by instinct, um, yeah. it'll usually pay out in the end. Right. Yeah. It, there's a couple things that I like about rehearsal. The rote memorization exercise that rehearsal is for everyone. I think that part of it, which, you know, after a few hours, everyone gets a little tired or fatigued by it. But I think what it does, in my experience, is it, it gets the microculture back in the band because everyone's mm. kind of <laughs> on the same page and yep. you're like, oh, God, I'm hungry. Let's or, uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess we need coffee. Let's <laughs> take a let's take a break. And it does that more than a show because everyone's in their own heads at a show mm -hmm. and polishing their egos or doling their egos, whatever they need to do. And um, so that's one thing I really, I've noticed about rehearsal. You, you obviously haven't been with each other too much if you're no, rehearsing. I mean, especially for us, it's because like we don't all even live in the same city. I yeah. mean, the, the Adam lives in San Francisco. I'm here, Olympia, and Blake is out in New York. Mm -hmm. So rehearsal is one of the few times that we get together um, and actually hang out with each other. That's outside of yeah. the pressure of, of, uh, um, of, you know, playing live shows. But yeah, it's, in, you know, it's, you know, Olymp Olympia is easy to do the same things in because there's not that many options. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, yeah. Do we get pizza or do we get, uh, you know, a burrito? Um, right. <laughs> uh, so um, that's, that's been nice, you know? But yeah, I think I think that's entirely right. I think you hit the nail on the head. And especially as, you know, older people who have have our own lives and live in different places, 
when we were in San Francisco, the band was what we were doing. The jobs were side, you know, it's like, that's how we made some money until the band was pulling in enough. But otherwise that was why we moved to San Francisco. So the band was really central to our lives. And, you know, we were seeing each other all the time and it was, you know, sort of the social milieu of, of us and the other bands in San Francisco and the bands from out of town that would come through. But that's something that sort of, at least for me, is sort of outside at this point. And so being able to hang out and uh, not recreate, but sort of do the same kind of stuff, just like, yeah, just hang out with the guys again um, yeah. and try to concentrate on being a band, which I think is part of practice. Like you say, it's not necessarily just the music. You're just, you're trying to get back into the headspace of that, that it's that you're a, a social entity that needs to exist and does things in certain ways. Right. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you was, I have noticed since I've been watching you play in Jawbreaker for the last 25 years of my life, I've always noticed that you have snazzy outfits. And you are wearing an incredible orange mohair sweater right now. Why, thank you. Yeah, mo- I've, I've, I've come to, uh, to really like the mohair. I've got a collection. It's not a full rainbow palette yet. I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I was younger, uh, I used to wear like T-shirts and whatever. And, and um I think it's sort of the contrariness of, I think we started dressing nicely in, uh, in vintage clothing. My, my wife's very good at that too. She, she dresses very nicely and sort of developed as a, as a sort of practice. And also yeah. it's, you know, it's the same reason for, for which when I was younger, I'm just being contrary. I mean, it was hilarious because, you know, when we were with these young, younger people in Olympia, they're all kind of crusty punks. So they'd all, right. everyone be in, in black ratty outfits and I'd be wearing like a orange, bright orange mohair sweater, <laughs> a button down shirt, you know, slacks, plaid slacks or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, it makes you stand out in a crowd. And I actually have been like this since I was a kid. I like matching clothing. I like, um, you know, you, you should, you should give someone, you know, people something interesting to look at, you know? I agree. And, yeah. Um, and especially when you're on stage, you know, yeah, I don't, right. I don't move. I don't dance around. I don't, don't do anything else. So at least I might, I might as well let them have a snazzy outfit to look at. Yeah. Well, I, I share that sentiment a hundred percent. And unfortunately I'm a drummer. So uh, I got to snazz it up a yep. little bit on the top. So I'm you need a little freedom bit of movement. I know I got to get a new instrument. Maybe just a <laughs> microphone. I can't see. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to let you go. It, your tour starts here in Seattle on March 18th. 18th. Yes. Yep. All yep. right. I'm going to try to go to that show or the 19th. Either way, I'll be hopefully hanging out cool. in a, next to your bus. Maybe I can bring you down a temporary shelter yeah. so Blake can smoke. We'll, that's right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, this is whole. It's it's in a turmoil right now. We have no idea <laughs> what we're doing. Yeah. You know, regulations might be out the window. Right. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be great. I have a feeling. I I hope so. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again for your time. And oh, it was great you. talking to you and meeting you. And we haven't met. And I've met the no. other fellas, but never met you. Okay. Cool. Take care. Travel safe. You too. Bye.
straight for Hulk Punk, what's the score?